Waves in the Finiverse. You're going to see a lot of movement as an individual in the next three to six months. There's a million ways you could go with this. And I think that there's a lot of really, really interesting future scenarios because I think that there's a lot of people that are shut off from the current system, generally, oftentimes by force, whether it be at an individual level or at a government level. And those people are people that we can now bring in as participants in the economy and it creates freedom. Imagine you're driving down a highway in a taxi. There's a load of traffic and the meter is clocking up. You're getting somewhere slowly and it's costing you. Then you see another taxi fly by in another lane. You switch on and recognize they're going to get to their destination faster and cheaper. The highway you're on is Ethereum and the fast lane, well, that's Polygon. Our guest today is Colin Butler and he's the vice president of institutional capital at Polygon Labs. His goal is to push the boundaries of traditional mindsets. So let's see if he pushes our perceptions of what Polygon has to offer. Welcome to the Finiverse, Colin Butler. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Walter. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, now you had mentioned at the outset earlier that you could talk all day about tokenization and institutional DeFi. That sounds a promise to a podcast host. I lied to you. I think I could probably talk about it for years. I could talk for an <laughs> indefinite period of time of these topics because I spend 24-7 focused on tokenization and institutional DeFi. Well, listen, I, I do want to dive straight into the tokenization aspect because here in Hong Kong, we've had uh, regulated by the SFC, two exchanges received their license to offer tokenization. Um, and yet um, nearly a year and a half after the first exchange got their license, we have yet to see a tokenization offering. What's going on uh, in other parts of the world that give you hope for tokenization. I think everybody is experiencing something similar to you in that it starts slowly and then it comes all at once. If you look back to 2015, you can see interviews where they would have a panelist of insiders and everybody would say tokenization is two to three years out. And here we are eight years later. And that promise has not been delivered upon in any way. So if you've been waiting for years, it's been a very painful uh, period of years. A lot of people went back to 2018. There was a lot of promise, a lot of conversation around tokenization, and nothing happened. And I hear it all the time. They said, you know, Colin, we tried this as an industry in 2018, and it's not going to happen. I, you know, I, you could look at our, our general counsel. He said, I have two years of my life that I will never get back on this topic. And he wrote amazing pieces on tokenization. So why do I think it's different now? I actually think it's happening now. Uh, I sit in a seat where I am in all the conversations globally. Uh, and when I say all the conversations, I'm thinking of the top 200 entities by AUM. So think BlackRock starting at 10 trillion and go down the list to number 200. Those are our conversations that we're ha having day in and day out. It is happening now as opposed to 2018 or any time prior because regulation is at a point where there is clarity on some use cases for tokenization. Once you get clarity on some use cases, it opens up a Pandora's box of efficiencies, increased revenue, and decreased costs. And if you think about the, the drivers of innovation, like why technological adoption uh, actually functions relative to prior use cases or solutions. It generally has to be an order of magnitude better or something that is completely novel. 
i.e. I can now do something for which there was no prior solution. Okay, so Colin, uh, we've got use cases today that um, uh, you feel are the closest candidates to live tokenizations. What is unique about those cases and what can we learn from them? So let's let's take a discrete example. Let's look at Hamilton Lane. Hamilton Lane is a private equity manager that manages almost a trillion dollars in assets. Very few regular world people have even heard of Hamilton Lane, but they're twice as big as KKR, which is more of a brand name. Uh, with, I would say, the the general population. So the people at Hamilton Lane are some of the best money managers in the world. Their flagship equities fund has returned around 15%, around, call it like mid-double digits, for years, if not decades. Your average person does not have access to this level of expertise in wealth management because prior to tokenization, you were required to be a qualified purchaser, i.e. $5 million net worth or more to participate in alternative investment vehicles like the Hamilton Lane flagship equity fund, which, by the way, announced that it had tokenized on Polygon about three weeks ago. Congratulations on that. Congratulations to the world. I mean, this is to, you know, to, to your average person like like me. You know, I don't know your situation, but maybe we're in the same boat. So what this does is it shifts the mix from very wealthy individuals that are, or or call it pension funds that have that you know qualified purchaser minimum, to accredited investors, people that have two hundred thousand dollars a year. Actually, they, they make two hundred thousand dollars US uh, every year, or they have a million dollar net worth, not including your primary home. That's that's the definition for quali- uh, accredited investor. It takes the minimum down to about twenty thousand dollars invested which makes these types of products much more accessible for people, a broad subsection of the population. It took it basically from like a scenario where you have 1% of people globally that can access these vehicles for which are very high returns. It helps you know the rich save for retirement. And now uh, let's call it, I mean, depending on where you are, but the middle class and certainly New York or Hong Kong, would now have access to these vehicles. So what we're talking about is the democratization of assets or the start thereof. And that's just the beginning. And the end game is a, is a situation where you can have somebody in India making $20,000 a year that wants to save for his retirement and the future of his family, but doesn't have access to things like Tesla stock in the US or various just basic investing and saving vehicles for which your, your average person in a lot of the rich world has access. That's where we want to bring this uh, in eventuality. Now, Colin, for the $20,000 a year uh, salary earner in India, uh, let's talk about the on-ramp to be able to then participate into some of these assets and the ability to, you know, this week we've seen uh, a number of the crypto-friendly banks uh, face challenges. So getting your dollars into and onto the chain and off of the chain have gotten a little bit harder. How are these developments going to impinge? So I don't think what's happening in the environment now is preventing future technology. And and let me be more explicit about what I mean. The people developing these on-ramps have been doing this for months, if not years, have been working towards this goal. And the challenges at Silvergate or Silicon Valley Bank or Signature have not impeded that in any way. 
because these processes are by the largest players in the world, the largest firms in the world, the people with the legacy payment rails and the legacy on and off ramps. And they are moving forward despite what's happening in the environment at any given time. Yep. I can certainly see the institution um, increase their investments. But for the person who is trying to take advantage of the democratized access, um, it's a little bit challenging. It is 100% challenging. First off, these technologies have not been released and or announced to the public. So they're not ready yet. They're not there. Given my seat within Polygon, I would posit to you, Walter, that you're going to see a lot of movement as an individual in the next three to six months. And these things have been in the works for a very, very long time. But now is the time that they are coming to the mass market to ultimately allow that scenario where we can have your average person getting access to investment vehicles for which there was no prior access. And that comes through tokenization. Fantastic, Colin. Well, that's a great development. And I'll look forward to um, coming back to you in three to six months to uh, talk about some of these cases. Here in Asia, there had been a large focus on tokenization of physical assets. uh, And here we're now talking about alternative investment into ETF or or, uh, other funds. How about the physical assets, whether they're ships or or buildings or um, other tokenization use cases? It's very interesting. I hope I don't disappoint a lot of people by saying that there's a challenge in converting physical assets into either a digital twin or an on-chain identity in some form. If you think about my home uh, in the New York City area, The registrar of my local municipality probably has the record of my home on that person's books. And it is a little bit more complicated to get that part of the process onto the blockchain than it would be for something like a stock or a bond or a fund. Yeah, the land title office has a lot to answer for. Exactly. Before you and I can fractionalize and share our Netflix accounts... There's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done. It's super cool. I mean, dreaming into the future, it's it, there's a myriad of use cases that are just super, super intriguing. What happens in the near term, uh, I personally find intriguing, but that is the rewiring of the global financial infrastructure. There was a lot of creaky infrastructure built up over decades that everybody uses that is ripe for disruption by the blockchain. And, and as global head of institutional capital at Polygon, That is my day-to-day. Yes, there are really cool real-world real estate use cases. Uh, There is like, you know, kind of memberships in wine clubs and art museums and art collections. Amazing stuff. Like, I'm super excited for it. But the challenges are physical in nature. So I don't know the timing of when we'll see ideas like that come to the real world. The timing of financial asset tokenization is right now. Okay. And um, we'll continue to see developments, we hope, in the tokenization of real world assets. Um, I do know here in Hong Kong, we've studied green bonds and anything that can be measured can be sold. And the advantage that IoT bring to green developments, green buildings that allow um, the bondholders then to recognize their reward um, through the on-chain display of the efficacy of their buildings. Yeah, it's a huge theme. Uh, The ESG theme is is massive globally. I think it is finally starting to bear fruit after, again, people having worked for years on this. What I think might be most intriguing 
is the idea that the markets for carbon trading, carbon credits are incredibly inefficient. It is hard for the producer. So, so think of the idea that, say, you own forested land and you are able to actually produce the carbon that would go into carbon credits. It's actually very challenging for you to benefit from that under any current economic scenario. So i.e. The, the people that are really producing the value are getting disintermediated by a lot of brokers and middlemen that take the vast majority of the value out of the chain. And with blockchain, there's a chance that you can take those players out and go direct and really accrue value to the people that are at the, at the foundation of value creation. Waves in the Finiverse, the podcast. Speaking to the people making waves in finance, fintech, crypto, Web3, and beyond. So, listen, Colin, after all the turbulence in the last 12 months, is there anything um, that is a safe bet? A safety is really hard to come by in, in the current world. It was a lot safer prior to COVID. It was a lot safer three months ago. Uh, it was a lot safer a week ago. Uh, but what I what I personally believe is safe is the secular adoption of blockchain technology. Think of the idea that the internet has taken decades to come to maturity. In 1998, my parents were worried that if they put their card online to buy on Amazon, that their identity was at stake. And now I think every probably five-year-old takes it as granted as that's unlikely, which of course it's not, right? There's nuances there. You have to be very careful on the internet. But the blockchain, in my view, will take a similar adoption timeline in that is a multi-decade secular trend that will be incredibly disruptive to many industries. It will wring out efficiencies in a variety of businesses. It will save a lot of costs. It'll generate a lot of revenue. And I think most important, it will provide new use cases for which there was no prior solution. But it's going to take some time. And Colin, how do you distinguish Polygon from other chain options out there? And what are the benefits to working on the Polygon chain? You might have to get into specifics as to what you mean by other chain options, because it depends. Like the answer, just like one of my early economics professors said, everything in economics, it depends is the answer. If you went to the layer one landscape, I would suggest to you that Polygon is focused on Ethereum because Ethereum has an order of magnitude higher security and higher decentralization than its next closest competitor. So we would really be focused on enabling cheaper costs and faxer, faster transaction times for Ethereum. So, so Polygon, uh, j just to really bring home that point, is focused on bringing the world to Ethereum. How we do that comes in multiple solutions. One is proof of stake. It's kind of our mainstay workhorse, the technology that we've had for a couple of years that is very easy to use. It's very developer friendly and it's very stable and very reliable. And personally, I think does a phenomenal job of getting a lot of these projects up and running with the security of Ethereum. What we have in the future, uh, Going on to mainnet on March 27th, which a lot of people are really, really excited about in, in the global crypto ecosystem, is actually a product called ZK EVM, EVM 
Uh, it stands for Zero Knowledge Ethereum Virtual Machine. What that essentially does is a very, very high security, very high throughput solution to bring creators onto Ethereum. Back in November 21, uh, 2021, I uh, minted our first NFT and we did that on Polygon because the um, uh, gas fees were significantly below what Ethereum offered, and it was just a lot easier. Um, and today now with the introduction of um, your ZK EVM, it can now handle transactions up to 100 times more transactions per second than Ethereum. So you've really um, found a, a, a fast on-ramp, off-ramp to the Ethereum chain. We So we are Ethereum maxis. I, I have somebody that works for me. Again, I work in institutional capital. We work with some of the most conservative institutions in the world. He has a gigantic Ethereum tattoo on his forearm. So we are firm believers in Ethereum as the decentralized global settlement layer uh, for transactions. Where Polygon wants to play is as the execution layer. We provide cheap compute to settle transactions that are submitted to Ethereum by zero-knowledge proofs, which essentially call it represents an unhackable bridge. So highly secure, inexpensive, with high throughput. And all of those components are needed in order to really onboard the next billion users. Like they're, they're critical, especially when it comes to finance. So I work in institutional capital. If you are going to be a major financial institution sending billions, if not trillions of dollars across the chain and settling on chain, you need something that is virtually infallible. And that's what we hope we've developed over a billion dollars in spend. And quite frankly, zero knowledge has been decades in the works. Most people thought it wasn't even possible. And today we are telling people it is here now. It's been on testnet for months. It goes on mainnet uh, March 27th, and it is a revolution in blockchain blockchain technology. So we are, we are very excited about it. I think the world uh, should be excited about it. No, it's um, it, it really is um, a phenomenal development. And um, yet on top of that $1 billion spent to date, uh, you've also announced a $100 million grant aimed at incentivizing developers uh, to construct applications on the zero-knowledge platforms. Uh, what are some of the developments or that you're particularly keen to see or that are bubbling along in the background that excite you? So everybody within Polygon would have a personal take. Mine is actually infrastructure. And I think most people might say that is the most boring subject ever. It's not uh, NFTs. It's not uh, gaming, which I think would be, uh, you know, amazing. You know, once that use case is fully matured, but in the meantime, me having a multi-decade history on Wall Street, I think settlement and bringing the majority of financial payments uh, and financial assets over to blockchain in the form of tokenization, that to me is super exciting. ZK, Zero Knowledge, will enable that to happen at a faster rate than I think at any time in history. Because finally, the technology is there. Now, along with financial institutions, we know that uh, Polygon has a number of partnerships with well-established Web2 companies. Uh, what is it about Polygon that attracts the Web2 crowd? You know, I have, a, I have an official answer to that, and I have an answer that I will only give you, Walter, right now. 
Okay. The 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 official answer, as as I would view it, is a global premier institutional level of support for your organization. So if you are a Starbucks, you are everywhere in the world. You cannot afford to have mistakes. You need massive amounts of support. And at the end of the day, when you partner with Polygon, everybody within the crypto ecosystem, like you could think of the idea that Polygon has the second largest community globally in all of blockchain, only second to Ethereum. And to some degree, well, to a large degree, we also directly support the Ethereum community. So if you choose a partner within the blockchain, you have the attention of the entire crypto blockchain community captured right there. The unofficial answer that I can only give you uh, is that we are laser focused on communities. And so when we go to talk to Starbucks, we say, here are the benefits to your consumers and to your customers. We have people with decades of experience in the retail business, and we know exactly what Starbucks needs to see when you abstract away all the crazy blockchain, cryptography, zero-knowledge technology. And so when we partner with somebody, they say, okay, these guys get us. They understand what we need and what we're trying to do. And it's not just about the technology. It's about it's about people and it's about communities. And communities are really what Polygon is here to serve. Okay, Colin. Um, look, um, you had spoken earlier that um, you could talk all day about institutional DeFi or decentralized finance. Um, we're seeing a few kind of errors at the edges between centralized finance and DeFi this week with banking collapses globally. How do you feel the uh, adoption or the, the transition from CeFi to DeFi is going and, and how do we process these uh, bumps in the road? I love it how you defined at the edges. I think anybody who uh, lived through 2008 and were kind of of age where they were actively participating in the economy would recognize that this is a core challenge of uh, traditional finance. Uh, the challenges faced in 2008, to some degree, have not gone away. I think as a, a culture, as a society, governments did a great job of band-aiding over some of the core issues. But as we saw in the past week, we are still vulnerable to your classic bank run. It's like a tale as old as time. We're still vulnerable to fraud uh, and, and still vulnerable to bank runs. It, quite frankly, in the online era, like this was like the smartphone bank run. It was, it was literally like, you know, founders pulling money out on their smartphones. What DeFi does is it allows for a level of transparency that enables you or I to understand our counterparty risk. And I'll try to give a very concrete example to, to what I'm saying. If you think in 2008, if everybody that banked with Merrill Lynch knew the risk that they had had on their books, would those people still have been clients of Merrill Lynch? And I don't want to single anybody out. Like These challenges are endemic in the financial system. But what I would suggest would be that Institutional DeFi creates a level of transparency where you can very accurately judge the level of risk you're taking on, and it also ensures a mechanism by which you get repaid. You are not beholden to regulators to come in and save a bank and hope that they guarantee your deposits 
you actually have access to those deposits by code when code is law. So that's those are a couple of the areas for which I think DeFi is is intriguing. And when you know when I say I could talk all day, like I'm I'm kind of tempted to throw throw down the challenge and say. Do you want me to try and talk for 12 hours about this? Can we run the podcast for the next 12 hours? Let's do a challenge, right? It's it's going to be like the challenge heard around the world. I'll just be speaking for 12 hours. But quite frankly, nobody wants to hear me speak for, for 12 hours. So let me actually consolidate a thought that I have around institutional DeFi. So what I, what I think about in terms of the excitement around institutional DeFi, if I can consolidate it, would be the idea that in the future people will have access to a dashboard, a consolidated point of contact where they can buy a money market fund, buy an alternative asset like Hamilton Lane, take a fractionalized share of my house on a Friday night if they wanted, and a menu of hundreds of other potential options all on chain, all in one place. And then here's the key. They can borrow against those properties. So traditionally, if you had an alternative asset, you were locked up for six months, a year, five years. What DeFi allows you to do is to borrow against that asset in real time, i.e., you know, if you're a pension fund, you see a near-term opportunity for which you need capital or would like capital, you can borrow a short-term against your long-term Hamilton Lane asset and make additional percentage returns on the money that you have invested. And then you also have 24-7 liquidity in this whole universe that I think is being created right now. That's that's the future picture. Right. And Colin, would that um, ever bubble down to your level where suddenly you have 24-7 access to borrow against your house uh, to use that for other investments? There's a million ways you could go with this. And I think that there's a lot of really, really interesting future scenarios. And I think that's one of them. I think that's a great idea. Everything you're doing is aimed at uh, making Ethereum even better, faster, uh, or more adaptable. Uh, will there ever be a cha- uh, a time where Polygon's um, working on alternative chains? Currently, they're not on the roadmap. Uh, there could be a time. The technology would allow for that. But while Ethereum has the by far highest security and decentralization, uh, we're going to focus on Ethereum given given that context because th- th- we think those two things are are very 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 important. Those ideas are really the reasons why a lot of people are in this business to begin with. Now, in order to transact on Polygon, I need access to Matic, and I understand there's some four billion Matic coins out there. Um, uh, how much uh, volatility have you seen in your own house coin at Polygon? Uh, a couple answers to that. So so one, I think there's north of, call it 8 billion Matic tokens in circulation. Uh, we tend to think more in terms of the kind of the Polygon as a whole, uh, really a foundation that is an infrastructure provider, really a technology infrastructure provider. So we tend not to discuss as much uh, topics of, of circulation. Um, but my, I guess my my macro view on that would be whatever we do has the intention of creating a blockchain that will withstand 30 or 100 years. Ideally, like an indefinite period of time where this becomes a public good available 
two people in perpetuity. Well, that's a great way of taking a long-term view on this, Colin, and putting your um, daily tasks into a longer-term perspective. And uh, I do hope Polygon is here for 30 to 100 years from now. I thank you. I hope so as well. News from the Finiverse. Now, Colin, we have a section we call News in the Finiverse, um, an opportunity to share any updates. Now, we mentioned the zero-knowledge uh, advancements, but are there other updates from Polygon that you'd care to share? Uh, I would love to share, Walter. Unfortunately, many of them are under NDA. The preview that I can give everybody on uh, on this podcast is that you will see in the next three months a series of news announcements from the traditional finance sector that are bigger than anything that we've announced to date. My view, everybody is coming. The biggest players are all going to participate in this arena, and you are going to see announcement after announcement after announcement that these people are entering the blockchain space. For me, it's in my career, personally, this is a career high. It is super, super exciting. You're not going to see it a year from now. You are going to see it within weeks and short months. Fantastic, Colin. Well, we'll uh, look forward to you um, telling us, hey, that's one of the flags I told you to look out for as we go along on this journey. Along with these uh, upcoming announcements, um, is there anything uh, exciting or interesting that has your attention now in the DeFi world uh, or in Polygon? Any developments that uh, particularly enthuse you? Yeah, for, for me, it's this ecosystem just being built out. That idea that you could have a one-stop shop where you have 24-7 liquidity and you can borrow against even your illiquid holdings in DeFi. Like that concept is just fascinating to me. And you you partner all that with the democratization of assets. You make all these things available to people across the globe, to people without access to bank accounts, without access to the American style or Hong Kong style saving vehicles. I think that is that is super cool because I think that there's a lot of people that are shut off from the current system, generally, oftentimes by force, whether it be at an individual level or at a government level. And those people are people that we can now bring in as participants in the economy, and it creates freedom. And you know, in America, we are big on freedom. We're freedom maxis for, for whatever that means. This to us uh, enables that level of freedom for a lot, a lot of people. And so, and so that is quite frankly, what kind of motivates a lot of what I do and was super exciting to me. No, look, and the democratization of financial services is a primary motivator for us at Finiverse. Um, And here in Hong Kong, uh, we certainly do have a well-banked city, but uh, coming from Asia, there are uh, hundreds of millions of people without identification or access to financial services. So uh, this will make uh, massive changes in the lives of millions of people. 100%. Tracks in the Finiverse. Now, Colin, to uh, power your journey in the Finiverse, uh, we have a segment called Tracks in the Finiverse, where we ask people to uh, share with us the music that uh, drives them along on their trip in whatever they're doing in the Finiverse. So, uh, Colin, what song would power your journey? I have a really weird one for you. And I don't, I don't know if it's going to resonate. We'll see if it hits. The song is actually Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. If you look at the words uh, in the track, it is actually all about the Vikings. And so what that 
embodies for me is that sense of adventure, that kind of indomitable spirit that you actually need if you're gonna be deeply in crypto, wow, like your day swings like crazy. You have to be a warrior uh, to go against what your parents think, what your family thinks, what your culture might think, what your regulators might think in order to bring the next wave of technological innovation to the world. You have to be a Viking. So that's uh, that's the one that I'm going to throw out to you. It will resonate with some people. It might not with some, but uh, that's that's the thought that I had when, when you first posed the question. Very, very good uh, song, and it's a great story to share uh, because you do need that energy and power to get through each day, don't you? You absolutely do. Colin, it's been a, a real pleasure speaking with you here on Waves in the Finiverse. And thank you for the podcast interview. We'll check back with you in a, a few weeks or months to ensure that you're uh, keeping to your word with all of those announcements. And we look forward to hearing more from yourself and from Polygon in the near term. Well, see, now I really need to deliver. So the the, the <laughs> bar is very high. But Walter, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I look forward to speaking with you soon. This has been Waves in the Finiverse. Why not hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. Thanks for listening.